You're welcome along to World and Union Balls.ie's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. As always, Morris, how are you? All good, yeah, Mick. How about you? I'm fantastic. Are you enjoying kind of like crunch time in the rugby season? Yeah, I mean, uh, Pro 14 probably wasn't as exciting as I'd hoped it would be this yeah. weekend, but it's all leading up to a, what should be like a cracking looking May, really. Yeah, we've got the semi-finals coming uh, and, and final, of course, of the Pro 14. Before all that, we've the main event, <laughs> <laughs> which is Leinster and Saracens this weekend, which is, I think, arguably the most anticipated non-all-Irish club game in, I'm going to say, 10 years. Well... Yeah, probably, yeah. I can't think of any of the, the Leinster or Munster Heineken Cup finals that have been more anticipated as a, from a rugby point of view as this game. Yeah, see, like, there's, I think there's two strands to that point. It's a really interesting argument, right? Because there's obviously, like, there's this thing, you know, styles make fights, and on that case, it might be a potentially boring game in terms of as, a, as an aesthetic match. But then you've also got the, what is a stronger narrative, which is, like, these are two, if we're honest, era-defining clubs yes. in terms of what they've done. And, like, Saracens are such a unique, it's such a, when you really think about it, it's such a weird prospect that a club that nobody really likes that kind of have been in the like they don't have a huge support base they're kind of they're like it's basically you know they're at the whim of kind of a philanthropist owner who decided that he's going to put his money into this club and create kind of a this what is an unbelievable array of lines yeah. team and then within that not really well supported there's also like they definitely you know play close to the line um on the field they also do off the field we like even you know the Daily Mail had a story about their some of the salary cap issues, potential issues in terms of companies like, um, for example, they've discovered a company called Faz Limited, which was connected to Owen Farrell, or Wiggy Nine Limited, which was connected to Richard Wigglesworth, and <laughs> this kind of thing that which is currently being investigated right now. But like as a prospect, it's really weird, and yet still they seem to have such a unity within them and play an amazing brand of rugby. Oh yeah, from a from a like that. This is what happens sometimes with these like you know the the how you get to a squad a sports squad with their coach might not often reflect the type of team and squad yeah. with that coach that you end up seeing on the field that and this seems like it's a pure rugby team that does have a lot of unity and togetherness and ambition you know and they want to make themselves the best team in the in, in the best club team in the world and are definitely in Europe and standing in their way is possibly the other dynasty the other team that are you know have the claim the current European champions so look I don't think it gets any better than this I know what you mean about the actual clash of the game we'll get more into that and talk in detail about it but I just cannot wait for it I have to say I'm going to um, I'll, I'll be in California actually for the game so wow. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to somehow manage, you know, to, to just arrange my schedule. My so wife's not going to be too it. happy when she realizes how much sport is going to be on in the early part of the day <laughs> on both Saturday and Sunday. But um, look, she, hopefully she's not listening now. I won't, get, I won't get in trouble before we go. But um, look, we will talk more about uh, uh, Saracens and Leinster. We'll talk about lots of stuff, really. Um, we've got some new... We'll, we'll talk about, you know, the, the, the fallout from the Pro 14 quarterfinals at the weekend. More criticism for Munster, the end of Connacht season, Rory Best's last game, um, and lots more. But um, also coming up today, we've got an interview with um, USA International out half, Tyg Leader. Now, Tyg, as you might guess from the name Tyg, is actually not from the USA, but from... Galway, um, a, a man who went to the same school as yourself. Yeah, my neck of the woods. Uh, a guy who I'm really interested, we've actually been talking about this for a while, we've been keen to get him on. He's a really interesting backstory in that probably didn't work out as well as he would have hoped with Connacht, which like he's a, that was his boyhood club growing up and there was a huge amount of hype about Tyg, I remember when he was a young lad, because he was so athletic, which was a, like a real asset obviously at the time and then injuries kind of curtailed that. But what's interesting about Tyg, right, yeah. yeah. What's interesting about that, right, is that Tyg is a guy who has seen the game both from the perspective as a player, as a coach, because he went to America, got a scholarship, but wasn't allowed to play, funnily, wasn't allowed to play for this college because um, US rugby made a rule that because he played professional rugby so soon before, he wasn't allowed to represent his college. So he went into coaching, and then he's also done a bit of agent work. A guy, uh, Kieran Gaffney, who also from, they went to, actually, I think they probably went to school together, um, Gaff left Connacht and went to Treviso. No, he's as as the Zebra. Sorry, he's actually retired early since then. But really similar thing, just not really kicking on from within his his hometown province. So Alex to kind of make a kind of a brave decision and go abroad and pursue a career there. So all this kind of leads to the fact that Tiger has seen the game from a really unique perspective, and Aubrey has kind of a massive insight to give based off that. Yeah, um, one of the you know we've talked to a lot of people who have gone. 
um, you know, and, and pursued a kind of a rugby career around the world. Everybody has their own different and individual stories, though. Uh, it's not kind of one size fits all for these things. So we'll talk to Ty about his. He is two times, two caps um, for the USA both this year. Both um, coming on for other, uh, you know, another Irishman, AJ McGinty, who people will know, who's their first choice out half. Very, very good chance of going to the World Cup, um, obviously, because it's in a couple of months. He'll be in the squads over the next few, uh, over the next few weeks. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, and we'll talk to him a little bit later on the show. But Morris, um, we uh, had uh, a pretty uh, interesting guest on last week's show, uh, Tom Savage of Three Red Kings, and we got a huge response to it. Yeah, I mean. Um it's probably one of those interviews. This sometimes happens when you do it and you don't necessarily realise how kind of powerful what he's actually saying is in his kind of core themes and stuff. And then it's because you're kind of getting trapped in just general really interesting stuff he says. And then when you take a step back or even, like I, I listened back to it and you kind of recognise, wow, that was pretty powerful. And then subsequently there was like a really nice kind of positive response. And it just goes back to the idea, right, that um, sometimes the internet can actually be a nice place. You know what I mean? Like it's actually, it has that capability yeah. to, to do that. And uh, I think that story was kind of the the core that was one of the core messages that you could take away from that for all the the bad that there certainly is there they can yeah. be kind of a nice guy i suppose coming to community aspect to it as well absolutely and i think people i like you know we would obviously encourage people to listen to all our work and you know we we are happy with all of it but i i really would suggest that you know um this is an interview that you should listen to just go back on the feed here you'll find it pretty easily uh type in balls.e into the podcast into your podcast feed if you're listening somewhere else um to this and not through that but easy one to find and very very worth listening to you won't regret it um Unfortunately, Tom, back to kind of like arguing on the internet over the last, well, not arguing, I think, you know, and, and he doesn't argue as so much as kind of like puts people sometimes in their place, yeah, but, uh, you know, a lot of negativity from um, the usual suspects over the last couple of, mo- over the last couple of days, uh, Glasgow fans, I find a lot, a lot of Scottish rugby fans, a lot of Welsh rugby fans who seem to kind of take Munster's close shave with Treviso as some kind of uh, evidence of, you know, a, a conspiracy uh, to keep Munster into the competition, no way would the Pro 14 want a team like Treviso getting into the semi-finals and making, you know, <laughs> making it the best rugby story of the season. No way would they want that. So Nigel Owens was definitely cheating and definitely uh, organising for Munster to get into the semi-finals. That's what I heard. Anyway, am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I sometimes I'm kind of. Low. If any lawyers are listening to this, uh, please note the sarcasm. Nigel Owens was not cheating. Not, not, not. Um. Like so, I'm kind of loath to even engage with some of that kind of stuff because it's so it's so demonstrably nonsensical. Like uh, we have a piece up on site already, looking back in this game and looking back on the fact that Nigel Jones actually, in a way, kind of the opposite take to somebody like uh, Jerome Garcez, for example. Nigel Jones does kind of favour the jackler. So say, for example, there's a stage in the first half where Munster are picking going around the corner, they're really deep in the uh, in the Benetton twenty two. And Sander makes a single carry, runs straight at their their prop, who gets over the ball. His forearms are both on the ground, but he still manages to successfully make the steal. It's turned over. It's a try scoring opportunity, but he manages to make a thing and he wins the penalty. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was like for people who want to watch it, you know, make a judgment off a game by watching a five second clip on the internet. Sure, you can wail about conspiracies or whatever you want, but yeah, if you're actually a fair gonna, point. If you're going to watch an entire game and look at the trend and look at the wider implications to this, and this is what like regular listeners are going to be sick of us saying this, but the thing we keep going back to is that there's existing rules that are not being implemented within the ruck and it's making it really really difficult for as a rugby fan it happened in the Saracens Munster game it like to a certain extent I'm not I'm not going to go fully overboard here but to a certain extent it does kind of sour the game when it's so demonstrably hurting it as a contest you know and you've got either people flying off their feet and endangering jacklers from a, from a safety perspective or even just when you've got jacklers lying all sides of a ball slowing down everything making it like given their defensive lines time to realign and set up yeah um i find and look you know in the moment and if you're watching it as a monster fan you're probably shouting that gar says is you know not, again you, you'll go for the bias sort of angle sure, sure. at least in your head at least in the de- depths of your head but thinking about it in the cold light of the day there's a lot of that kind of stuff that for me is like the referee can only probably ref one team at a time or yeah. one side of it at the time so if he's looking at the jackal and he's looking at the contest and making sure that no there's no hands illegally or no no slowing down from the defensive team he probably isn't seeing if a guy is coming at the very slightest angle off his feet into the rook which was happening like saracens were doing that 
constantly against Munster. Like, you know, I don't, like, they just weren't even bothering to try and get behind the ruck anymore. Now, it, got, it, it became a little bit ridiculous. But at the same time, what is a referee supposed to do? He's got two eyes that generally have to look at the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the laws of biology uh, stop him from actually being able to, to monitor everything. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, and that's why I think we kind of make a conscious effort not to discuss referees the whole time in this podcast because, like, oftentimes that you just kind of cut them a bit of slack because it's such a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, I still think there is probably a bit of leeway in terms of actually how they're going to police the ruck and if they could be a bit harsher, I think it would ultimately help rugby both from a safety and also from a from a spectacle perspective. Um, it's funny, like, even if you like, I don't think that's the thing that Munster will be concerned about. I was going to get into this, like, yeah, because there's there's a lot to talk about. And just before we talk about kind of Munster's, you know, worries, of which there are plenty, they got a last minute lucky win, you know, say what you want about, like, you know, a bad refereeing or whatever, like, Stander winning that penalty is lucky enough, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't like, there's, there's an argument to, to say it wasn't, at least, you know, and they could have easily lost the game and you know a brilliant kick to win it as well like so why is why you know Treviso deserves so much credit and it's a brilliant brilliant story and I don't want to gloss over it but from an Irish perspective are Munster going anywhere as we kind of fall into the end of the season as they have to go away to to Dublin to play Leinster you know there's not there's not a huge amount of positives to take just because they won the game. Yeah, and I mean like history is written by winners, and if they can actually beat Leinster, then this season will be looked at in a very very different light. But if they lost at the weekend, like make no mistake, that would have been a disaster. It would have been their season would have totally stagnated. And I think it's funny like if you're looking at it, there's been so much focus on people like Felix Jones and his search for a new attack coach, and there's been stories linking him to Rob Howley, who supposedly has done an interview, or Johan van Granen, this kind of thing. And I like I just thought. Um, when I was actually watching the game, it was the first time it really struck me. I said this after the Saracens game as well on this podcast. But the, if you were to look at this, like there is a certain element to this which is kind of player's responsibility. Like there, it just has to be, you know, like you, the best coach in the world, the absolute best coach could put a huge amount of attacking shape on them. But let's say, for example, when Kevin O'Byrne makes a turnover, comes off the bench, makes a huge turnover, Jack rips, they set up a ruck. Like the instinct there, whatever any coach that is, to go wide. But if CJ Sander picks off the back and just decides to truck around the side, pick and go, like in a situation like that, when you've got a team scrambling and you've got options at wide, and players like Andrew Conway and Darren Sweden at wide, like that's not a coach's fault. Like you have to be. It's funny, you know. There's been a lot of focus on pundits and on presenters recently. I don't know if you read uh, Tommy Conlon wrote an article in the Times, the UK version of the Times, about the players, former players, now presenting it in the media and maybe being a soft touch towards you know, f- former teammates, for example. So he gave the, I think he was using an example of, we won't get into, if people want to read it, they can go and read it. But he used the example of, uh, after a Munster game, former players didn't really want to discuss Peter Matney's infringing or that thing. They decided to focus on a broader perspective and that mm. maybe that should have been their focus. And I just thought it was really interesting to hear Donegal Callahan during this game repeatedly make the point that, you know, it was a player's fault. Like, he really stressed, you know, like, stop looking to your coaches. Like, why are you doing moves in front of a defensive line? You know better than that. Like, why did you kick the ball there? You should know better than that. Yeah. And I actually think that there's something in that. Like, he would have... Like, Donegal Callum would obviously, you know, he knows Felix and Jerry from his own playing days, but he would have played with the pretty much the bulk of that. Yeah. If you go through that month, he would have played with the bulk of them. Like, he only left 2015. So he knows these players. And I think that's that's a way bigger issue is the fact that there just seems to be really, really poor decision-making. You can put that down to not having a distraction structures or having something to fall back on. But ultimately, there has to be a bit of responsibility in that as well, which I think is a kind of a, to be honest, it's a kind of a graver problem than... Like and maybe a fresh slate is what reinvigorates that and gives you back confidence. But right now it's not there, and that's that's problematic. One of the themes that we speak, you know, of people that we speak to on the show, like you know, like Tig, who we'll speak to in a while, who go abroad, find that Irish players seem to have this advantage of the way they're coached as young players, the way they're coached as young professionals as well. Once they go into the academies and everything else, of just being sort of have more rugby smarts and just see the game differently. You always talk about, like, you know, the, the was it Sexton shouting at... at uh, Keen Healy, Keen yeah. Keen Healy, not, yeah. you know, the, he knows the rules, he can't touch the nine. Yeah, yeah. You know, that they almost, like, pride themselves on That's just having this awareness, having this, you know, a, a understanding of what's happening in front of them. That makes the what you're saying is the current problem with Munster all the more confusing. Yeah, it does. And just to, even to, to boil down to actual specifics in this, like, say, for example... Munster go through two phases and then 
Tyler Brendel aimlessly kicks a kick down the fullback's throat and they respond back. Like, that is poor decision making. That's not, like, nobody told him, nobody sat down and said, this is what you need to do after two phases, go boot the ball. Like, that's poor decision making. You should, you should look in that. Or say, for example, against Saracens, I keep going back to that play where, again, Blendell throw like, it, it feels almost harsh to criticise a guy who's had such a poor injury record as Blendell for not carrying to the line. But ultimately, he's a professional rugby player as well and he kind of has to do that. So, but he doesn't. So he doesn't carry to the line. He just ships it out along to, to Scannell runs a loop in behind him but doesn't fix the defender then the ball goes out to Sweetham Sweetham doesn't run straight and coasts out towards the sideline and the whole move breaks down even though it would look like a really intelligent move in a really promising position that was launched off of a scrum but because not because of coaching because of what happened within it mm. it kind of ultimately broke down now there are elements within that I would say like I would be very very critical of the decision to start Blendell over JJ Hanrahan yeah. who was man of the match against Benetton last month who changed the game when he came on against Saracens, basically, and yeah. who again has to save them here today. And I think that, again, like a guy like Blendell, who is held in such high regard in a club and supposedly has a huge amount to say within coaching and is a real rugby brain, but ultimately, if you pick people, if you're going to pick people on form, like JJ Hannon was clearly the better choice and he proved it ultimately. But at the time, I think it was a. That's starting to make no sense to me. Yeah. And I, I said that on Saturday morning. You know what I mean? This wasn't the. This wasn't the hindsight thing. Sure, like sure. It, it's starting to not make any sense that Blaindell, in the form that he's in, with the way that he's approaching the game versus the way Hanrahan brings other players into it, it's starting to make little or no sense. You know that that, and it worries me that Van Gaal continues to kind of make that decision. Yeah, and that's and that like that is ultimately for monsters from monster perspective. It's funny to hear um, when we spoke to Tom last week. Tom talked about like it has to be relative improvement, like and that relative improvement both has to come from within your coaching structure and your players. Like people, you can't assign all the blame to one or the other. Like it might make analysis easier for certain people to lay it all on coaches or lay it on players but there's a, a marriage of both who both are probably falling short right now and I think like that is justifiable criticism like as we kind of analyse where they're at right now I suppose yeah look we're, uh, we're as usual gone on longer than we hoped on a lot of these things but I do want to mention Treviso like what a season probably should be in the semi-finals that's kind of come from now where we're used to the Italian teams propping up the division uh can they kick on from this? Do they have the do they have the infrastructure that this isn't just a one or two season wonder? Yeah, they definitely do. Um I think if you look all the like we spoke about um people like Steve Abound or Conor O'Shea going to work with Sebre and Treviso and era, you know, they're eradicating all the really minute stuff that proves really frustrating within Italian rugby. Like one of the striking things about Benetton is their ability to last in games, like be competitive right up until the eightieth minute. That's a totally uncharacteristical Italian thing that the like Italian teams famously used to die after an hour these yeah. teams these teams fitness levels are way way higher um, I think they've, they've made some really clever signings like I think th- this is the same thing that you can like there's a broader conversation to be had about this but even in the premiership I think what we're starting to see is coaches identify players who are kind of second tier players so players who are still definitely pro 14 or premiership standard might not be international standard but because they're not international standard they'll have them for an entire season so think of a guy like like Tomaso Allen, who they're going to lose for the World Cup a huge portion of the season, and then the Six Nations again. But you've got a guy like Ian Keatley to come in instead and back that up. That's a really, shrewd, I think that's a really shrewd signing that kind of shows a level of foresight that other teams are trying to catch up to. So I'd be very optimistic about the direction they're heading in. Great, uh, Ulster Connacht. Then we said the Ulster fans got to say goodbye to to Rory Best. He stayed on longer than he normally even does. Uh, Darren Cave as well. You know that's kind of like it, it's it's amazing kind of like almost end of an era there for Ulster but their Ulster careers aren't finished yet because they were just like it was just I suppose just ground them down sort of too good for Connacht just a better team really but like not not by a huge amount no yeah like yeah probably just um like a tier above I think Connacht did not get going for about 20 minutes really which was ultimately proved costly and then it was funny to hear you know Andy Friend immediately after the game talk about the that kind of what that hurt will do to them for next season so it's like probably worth you know this is only second time Connacht have made a quarterfinal in this tournament ever like the probably I think an element of that might have contributed to their their slow start which, yeah. which it was you know um just like a final word on that like Ulster to kind of say goodbye to two unbelievable servants and in the manner that they did it I thought was was really kind of classy and it also like what you'd be even more optimistically about is that even when they're going you see the guys who are coming behind them like a guy like Michael Lowry driving yeah. on a big stage like that or I thought Stuart McCluskey looks really really good he looks back in form um it's great to see you know Marshall like Mar- Marshall's return against Leinster was great because 
he scored a try. But that version of Marshall you saw at the weekend is the best because he's actually back and being physical and you know mixing it with people and doing the strong carrying and making huge hits that we would associate with him. Yeah, he's just someone that I always just worry about. I have to say, I mean, just it's going to always be there. Yeah. But he's taking the right amount of time off. I'm sure he's like it's all. You know, it's all been done in his best interest, but you just hope that he lasts. Like, but uh, I wouldn't have to say rule out Ulster. Like, you know, I can see them getting to a final. And, I don't know. There's something kind of interesting about Ulster being in a final in Parkhead. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but I just think it could be funny. Yeah, and I like. I think it would be a the perfect bounce back for what happened last season. And um, it also again like go back to good coaching. It kind of shows the difference a guy like Dan McFarlane can make. He's in, done a in great job. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really has. Uh, one list, little bit more now before we get to 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 Tyg. Um, one of your own boys, another Connacht man, won't be uh, with the province next season because he's going to the beautifully named Sun Wolves in Japan. Uh, Conan O'Donnell, yeah, uh, is uh, off to to very 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 far far lands. The man, I spent two years knuckling down behind. They actually played with him. He was a prop in the second row for Corinthians under twenties for for a couple of years, and then subsequently with Connacht. He um. He's a kind of a guy, it's funny, Conan's a guy who I would actually associate with, like I, through my very, very limited kind of rugby when I was playing in, in Galway, got to work with some really amazing coaches like Brent Wilkinson and Ambrose Conway. But Conan's a guy I learned a huge amount of, probably more, by playing alongside him. Like he's a really intelligent rugby player, uh, a guy who probably didn't have the success he wanted with Connor. Like he, he came from Sligo, a non-traditional rugby area that he went to Summerhill but just as a, such a phenomenal prop I was playing for Sligo seniors in really really early that he ended up coming down to Connaught and was winning with the academy he was had two years with the Ireland under 20s starting I think every single game in two back-to-back under 20s Six Nations um, went, went into the academy got a scholarship always looking good and then got a kind of success of horrendous ankle injuries like the it's funny I actually associate the image I associate him most lately is rolling around on, with one leg up on a scooter that's mm. which is just is really really tough and even when he did play for Connacht he played really well it just never got the chance to kick on but I actually think like we'll speak to Tyg in a second I think the stories like Conan's are what we're going to hear about more like it's one of the most interesting moves in Irish rugby is a guy to go to Japan like that's Japan it, and, yeah. and forge a career out there and like this is the thing we go back to you know like a rising tide lifts all boats and if Irish rugby's level continues to increase a rising sun yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry Jesus um yeah, we'll move on from that. <laughs> um, like, if if the standard keeps to increase, you're going to have an like um, kind of boom of players who might not have enough space within four provinces, but are still quality, well able to make, play in professional rugby. And I guess that kind of like is a nice segue to speak to someone like Tyke. Yeah, exactly. Look, we wish Conan well, and we will get to we will get to another guy who's gone and forged his career abroad. USA international Tyke leader. <laughs> Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put in a fruit salad. <laughs> you like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. All oh, let's call the whole thing off. Well, listen, we're <coughs> delighted to be joined on the line by uh, USA International um, Tig leader. Tig, a former uh, Connacht man, will go through your career, Tig, and kind of what brought you to this point. But I suppose the first thing that jumps to my mind is how did the Americans get on with the name Tig? <laughs> um, probably as expected. It's a, it's a big struggle. So anything that remotely sounds like Tig, I just I just turn my head and react. But uh, you, you pick and choose your battles in that one. <laughs> I just kind of I, I let go. Definitely spell it phonetically anyway, yeah. Uh, good stuff. No, it, it is, look, it's 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 something that um, has, has grabbed our attention over the last few months. We've talked to an awful lot of people on the show who have kind of left Ireland and um, pursued careers, rugby careers outside of the country, and it's kind of something that's always that's always fascinated us. How does a guy who uh, went to the same school as Morris um, end up playing uh, international rugby union for uh, the USA? Yeah, no, it's been a it's been about a few years now. I've been here just over four years, but um, initially it was just through education. I decided um, when I was finishing up in the academy in Connacht, to be honest, I was kind of I was a very injury prone. I'm just sick of rugby, so looked for something different, um, and that's how I got the opportunity and a scholarship to study out here. And then from there, uh, I think the timing was pretty good in terms of spending a year or two in education, and then this new professional league 
Major League Rugby came along, um, played out in San Diego, and then from that I managed to become eligible and the uh, Eagles coaches showed some interest. And yeah, on the back of that now, I got two caps last month and hoping for, hoping for more of the next few months. Tyke, it's funny, you know, we uh, earlier on the show were talking about um, the guys like Conan O'Donnell, who just today has been confirmed he's moving to, to the Sunnies mm. from Connacht, or even, you know, Kieran Gaffney obviously left Connacht. But these are guys who left in search of kind of professional careers and trying to prolong their own their own playing days. Whereas you left for kind of a different reason. Yours wasn't necessarily looking for, <coughs> for professional rugby. You were kind of, like, would it be fair to say, kind of fell out of love with the game? Yeah, no, that's 100% accurate. Um I, I really enjoyed my like obviously growing up going to the Bish and playing in Galway Regions and stuff rugby was it was huge in my family and it was a massive part of my life um, but just yeah just and maybe that was my last year and a half um, in Connacht um, I was training train away with the first team but then I had a pretty pretty bad shoulder injury which required reconstruction eventually um, so yeah I just didn't really <clears throat> didn't really enjoy the game so I thought I'd look for something just completely different um, and then once I got up to the States um Rugby was just, as I said, taking off. But you know, my goal moving to the States initially was not to kind of seek out professional rugby and become an international player. But to be honest, obviously I'm over the moon. It's, it's gone that way. And I, I definitely rediscovered my love for the game out here. And that's my, I'm happy now to have the opportunity to represent them and try and play back in any way I can. And on that on that stint that you had, I suppose, away from the game, like you, you weren't actually away from the game. I mean, you know, you did some some coaching or even, I know you had a, a, your own sports scholarship and things like that as well. To what extent do you think that kind of, I don't know, fostered, like reignited a love within you or that might have helped you now with the success you're having in your career right today? Yeah, it, it worked out um, quite well just because in the back of the shoulder reconstruction, I was basically out for, say, almost a year. And then when I moved to the university, um, I, my scholarship was tied in with rugby, but the fact that I'd actually played with back in Ireland for Connacht and signed like a professional contract, I was deemed ineligible to play collegiate rugby. So, you know, I, I basically two years without playing. But in that in that time period, I because maybe the, the level of coaching isn't amazing here, I just thought maybe I can help out and do some youth coaching. And, but pretty quickly developed. So, um, I actually got very passionate. For, like I always loved the game. I just didn't really have the massive desire to play, but I was still very much interested in what was going on and up to date and everything. Um, but I really enjoyed the coaching aspect of things, and that's that's something I'm still very passionate about. And even today, although I'm back playing full time, I try and coach as much as I can. But um, that's what kind of kept me in touch. But I think that two a two year break was, was great for me, um, just to, just to kind of step back and, as I said, focus on the studies. Um, and then I, I even picked up a lot of odd jobs. You know, I was in Boston at one point, up on a roof few floors of painting and things like that and it was at those kind of points I thought actually maybe maybe I might give rugby another crack uh, before getting <laughs> into the real world so I definitely had this perspective on things it was definitely a, a massive a massive thing for me and yeah as I said I, I couldn't be any more thrilled with how things have worked out now it's uh interesting looking at kind of like the, the you know your development of your career and you said uh, what leads you to the point you're talking about there where maybe you you know out of love and playing for you, your injury history seems to have just been just consistently hit you at the wrong time is that fair to say and it's just like that seems to be something that you know you're having a run of now that you haven't really you know you're 27 now but you haven't really had this kind of run before where you could kind of build to that next level on a consistent basis it seems to just always hit you at the wrong time yeah um growing up i was never i wasn't injury prone at all and things were pretty good i was saying i remember in my first year out of school i was saying like um AIL won E, I think, at the time for Goalwegians at 18. Played every game that season. Played pretty much every A game with Connacht. Um, they're involved in like, the Irish underage club. So I was playing rugby all the time and it was, it was great. Um, then on the back of that, I, I got some... I remember just playing, we played a Munster A game um, and I, had a great, I just had a great game and I felt like you know, things are clicking now. Um, I just felt really confident. Then the next week I went out and got a serious ankle injury and since it still gives me trouble to this day... Um, just kind of stiff and things like that. So that hit me and then that kind of followed into pre-season the next year when Pat came along and pretty early in that pre-season I just got a, just my shoulder just completely came out. Came out. Um, and I tried to ignore it because I, I wanted to see, you know, I knew if I got the operation that was that. So I, I tried to kind of go along and play a few games but I remember I was just, that was terrible. It was, it was almost embarrassing playing just because I was so fearful of like getting hit and things like that. So um, I managed to then, at that point, yeah, it was, so the writing was on the wall and obviously as I mentioned and I just wasn't enjoying the game so it was great and I must, I must say Connacht were absolutely brilliant when I asked to leave early and just escape and, and um, get a fresh start out here in the States you know they let me go early and Nigel Carlin was, was 
well, you know, he, I can't speak high enough of him, my dealings with him and how they accommodated me because I guess, you know, I went in there at the age of 15. I spent every summer in there training full time and then from age 18 to 22 or something, I was, you know, in there full time, full time. So I spent a lot of time there. So I'm definitely grateful for, for what they did for me. But at the same time, I was never so happy to see the back of the place once, once I headed off. That's really interesting. This was an also kind of uh, a unique insight into rugby. The fact that you know it was, you felt like it was a self-imposed um, pressure to play through injury. It, there was obviously nobody else kind of in your ear about it. But the fact that maybe you recognised no. that you needed to kick on that that was like that was lingering <clears throat> in the back of your mind clearly. Oh yeah, I was. That was my last last year in the academy that that season when Pat came along. Um, I just remember in pre-season I had to get a few kind of injections off my ankle and just try to mask the pain and then. I kind of thought it was over that, and then the shoulder, the shoulder knock came along. Um, yeah, no, but by no means was there was there pressure from Connacht or anyone like that to to continue playing. That was just me recognizing that, you know, if I didn't play, I'd be out the door. But pretty quickly, um, you know, when I was trying to play through that, I realized actually I I want to go. So um, you know, it was in in some ways it was you know it was almost good. I just felt like I, nah, it wasn't for me staying there any longer, and. Um, yeah, just the opportunity to come out to the States has just really opened my eyes. And on the back of this new competition, I'm like, any, any, any time I'm chatting to any of the lads back there, um, I'm just trying to let, let them know that I think a lot of guys get caught up in the Irish system and they hang on for maybe a little bit too long at the clubs when they might be playing five games a year maximum um, for the for the provincial side. And I think like, that that can be mentally quite tough. Um, so I think now that more opportunities in the game for guys, especially out here in the States with the way things are developing. So I'm definitely an advocate of that. For guys, if you find yourself in a bit of kind of a stale place where not a whole lot's happening, maybe you know, freshen things up and see something new. And yeah, I can't. I that's that's the that's the route I went down, and you know, it's, it's definitely working out for me. I'm I'm as happy as can be, to be honest, which is a great thing to be, to be able to say. Yeah, it's really funny you say that because we spoke to um, Shane O'Leary, who obviously I connect as well himself, um, recently mm-hmm. on the podcast, who's out now with Canada, and he kind of stressed that idea as well that you know, like when Irish rugby is in such a good place, there is naturally kind of a overburdened <coughs> that there's too many, there's not enough teams and too many players, and that the opportunity to kind of go abroad should be one that's pursued, but it's kind of daunting for player, players initially. Like when you look at the the moves that you've made, and I know like you were involved in um, in Kieran when he went to went to Italy. Do you see this as a path, kind of a worthwhile path that will only grow from from here? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's the Irish system, though. Like, just with the four teams, as you mentioned, that bottleneck is going to happen. There's so many quality players. Um, over the last month, actually, we had the four Irish A teams tomorrow and play us. And you know, I just even seeing that the guys are all quality, quality footballers, but you know, there's only a limited amount of spots. So, I think for those, I think you know, one thing I'd say is definitely get your education done when you're in the academy and stuff. Really focus on college. You know, try and try and juggle both the rugby and the, the education side of things. So at least then you can. If it doesn't work out in provincial system, you, you can go and explore. Um, whether you stay in Europe or you, you go out here, or even as you mentioned, Conan this morning signing for um, the Japanese Super Rugby outfit. Um, you know, there's, there's so much stuff going on, but I think at times, yeah, it's it's a, it's a path that's definitely become more popular. So I think we'll make the decision easier for guys now. Whereas I think you know five, six years ago, it wasn't particularly common. You know, to, to maybe go to England, but beyond that, that was probably as far as guys would have gone. So. I think now, hopefully, make it easier for guys because they can, you know, reach out and give me a shout and ask me my what's my opinion, what's my perspective, and um, hopefully, I might kind of guide them a little bit, which has which has been the case in a few different guys over the last maybe month or so, from reaching out, kind of inquiring about the state. Um, but yeah, definitely, Irish rugby is in a great place, but unfortunately, at the back of that, it means a lot of guys have missed out on those opportunities. But now, hopefully, they have the kind of ambition or courage to to take that leap. I, I don't think majority of guys, I think, massively enjoy it. So. It will only become more popular, I imagine. It does seem that way. It seems that anyone we're speaking to, nobody seems to regret it anyway once you go and kind of make the move. Um, you mentioned like the uh, Major League Rugby there and the kind of the setting up of that. I know you're with in Boston at the moment with the New England Free Jacks and you guys, I think, are entering the league next season. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. We're starting, um, which would be Major League Rugby year three will be our first year start next in January 2020. Um, so we, we've just spent this year building, getting ready. So as I mentioned, we played the four Irish provinces. They mm. come out, and we've a few more games coming up. But yeah, it, 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 I played for San Diego year one. I think we were at seven teams. This current season has gone to nine, and next season is going to twelve. So like it's it, it's been it's going growing pretty rapidly. Um, and on the back of that, it, 
the amount of opportunities that are opening up for foreign players. And as you know, the, the American player pool is, is obviously it's pretty big in terms of numbers, but at times can be limited in terms of quality. So which which means that foreign players are getting a lot of opportunities now to, to come out and experience something new. Um, I mean, yeah, my first year in the league was pretty surreal when I was. I remember leaving Connacht thinking, well, at least I'll never have to do a preseason again, <laughs> which was which was a, which was a great thought. But then I remembered if we were doing fitness sessions out in San Diego, but I was doing it on Pacific Beach and palm trees around me and like just beautiful weather. And I thought, actually, I can deal with this for a few more years. Um, so, no, look, it's it's it, it's going it's going in the right the right direction. Um, and already, I think there's probably only 15 or so Irish guys out here in Major League Rugby. So, you know, hopefully, long may continue. I'm interested in the kind of backing it has and the you know potential for growth there. As you're saying, like the league is obviously getting bigger. It's it's it, they they seem to be doing it as a project that has a has a a long term plan. It's not just something that's thrown in. I was talking to Eddie O'Sullivan before he went out there <clears throat> last year, and obviously he's been involved in in and out of, uh, with American rugby for a long time. And he says this is the first mm-hmm. time that it's really kind of you know there is a plan to go forward there. Do you sense uh, room for? It's obviously never going to be a major sport in, in America, but do you sense room for like serious growth there? Um, just from your kind of, you're, you're there four years now. So you kind of, and you've been around rugby the whole time. So you, you must have an idea as to, you know, it's potential. Yeah. Like that's, um, when I first got here the four years ago or so majority of people, say you, you chat with them about rugby and you played rugby would see it as this kind of crazy sport. Hmm. Um, you know, fo- football without pads. You, you hear that all the time. Whereas, even now, fast forward four years, I think there's a lot more awareness around the game. People actually know what it is, a bit more of appreciation for it. Um, and yeah, like that. And then that's even like I coach some youth teams the odd time and you can have 60, 70 kids running around, whereas I don't think that has ever been the case. So, so the, the trajectory has been, has been unreal, even in my time here and on the back of this new pro comp and the, the way, the way it's structured, um, it's very strategic and the, the, way, the way it's been planned out, it, it, it definitely, it definitely gives me a lot of encouragement that it's going to be around for for the long haul. Um, and just, yeah, just to kind of go back, yeah, the the average American, I think now is is kind of becoming some. You know, they understand you throw the ball backwards, and the idea is the little things about rugby, whereas in the past they wouldn't have. And the fact that major rugby now being on TV uh, makes just makes it a lot more accessible. So no, it's it's definitely it's, it's definitely going in the right direction. To be honest, probably faster than I would have imagined. Um, wow. Say two years ago when this when this league started, yeah. It's definitely. I mean, I think we, as I said, twelve teams next season. I, I know other teams are trying to buy buy in, but I think the league is is almost cautious of not expanding too fast, too soon, just because you don't want to dilute the product on field. Um, if you have too many teams, obviously, some players won't be able to scratch, and it might be a great you know product to watch on TV. So I think at twelve teams already in year three, it's it's um, it's in a great place. And you know, for us here in Boston, we just can't wait to get stuck in next year. Ty, when did the idea of representing America first appeal to you? Um, well, obviously, I, when I when I came out, AJ McGinty had just gone back to Connacht. So when I moved to the States, AJ had just kind of finished up. And he uh, it was actually after the World Cup, or the 2015 World Cup. Um, I just, I never thought about it. When I saw him, I was, like, it was, uh, I was just aware of that. Never never thought about it too much. I just thought it was interesting and a pretty, pretty you know, exciting path to go down. Um, but then it, it didn't really come, come across. And probably this time last year when I was playing in for San Diego, um, made a few decent games and then, uh, the coaches kind of reached out and inquired about my interest. And I, I there wasn't a moment's hesitation. As I said, I came out here kind of almost, you know, not enjoying the game and American rugby turned that around for me. So, you know, the opportunity to, to play, to play and represent them was something that yeah, I was, you know, it was an absolute honor to be even asked, to be asked. And then on the back of, quite a few months of a difficult eligibility process to actually get myself um, yeah just everything squared away from an eligibility standpoint um, to get the opportunity to make my debut was, was unreal I mean my debut down in Chile um, you know who would have like, it was just such a random experience and we're calling <laughs> home after it was just calling home after it was in like 30, 30 degrees heat and just chatting to back in February February 2nd um, just chatting to my, my family and just um, I managed to sneak over for a try in the corner and I, so I was just on cloud nine and then just calling home and just it was amazing just talking about like what the hell am I doing here <laughs> in the, in the, yeah so it was yeah no look, I, I've, I've, I'm loving my time here in the States and what USA rugby and the whole the rugby community in general has done for me so my intention is definitely is to hang on and hopefully be able to contribute and give back um, as a player over the next few years but then after that maybe in a coaching capacity 
it's funny because you know you look at the controversy about the residency laws in recent years and i think it's stories like like your own or even people from an irish perspective like ian mckinley who you know didn't necessarily mm-hmm. even have a pathway went abroad not necessarily to to play even professional rugby at times i was just trying to like stay slightly involved in the game whether it be coaching and then they kind of become adopted by a country and give back whether that be through coaching or as you said you know <coughs> painting on roofs or that kind of thing and ultimately it leads to you kind yeah. of representing them and it's it's the I suppose that's the, the positive sense that it can actually be like a worthwhile path to fulfillment for a lot of players like you yeah no I, I understand as I maybe I'd say a marquee player getting drafted in in laid into uh, one of the one of the national squads who they, they come over just to play professional rugby and I mean, but like even even looking at Connacht, like obviously everyone would type Bundy, but you know he's done so much for rugby in Connacht. I was home for race week and I was um, just over with the lads and we went out in the races and stuff. And you know he he obviously he's well known. He's basically it was, it was mad actually going around the race. It's the amount of people that were trying to stop and get a photo with him. But in fairness to him, so he stopped with everyone, engaged with everyone, smiled, took a photo. You know, like that's just from a rugby standpoint, you know, it's great to see. And he's just going the game here and. Very committed to the Irish, the Irish like living in Ireland and supporting Irish rugby and Connacht rugby. So I think cases like that, or myself, Lee McKinley, yeah, I think that's it's as long as the player is really willing to you know commit to the country and buy in and um, just do everything they can to, to see the developments of the rugby in that area. I think that's okay, but I understand. Yeah, other other times guys just kind of jump ship late or they didn't make one national team and. They have eligibility for another, and maybe they're just doing this um, out of say not getting selected for their initial, their number one choice. Um, don't get me wrong, you know, growing up, I, obviously it wasn't the aspiration of mine to represent the US. But um, as you mentioned, just just the way the things have transpired over the last few years, it, it's done so much for me. So um, no, it, it's it's an absolute honour to, to to do this, and hopefully with the World Cup around the corner, hopefully I'm just trying to put myself in the best possible position to hopefully get a, get a shot there. So, so, yeah, that's interesting. On, on that team, that's the ambition, is it, to, to make the World Cup and represent America there? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, for the or equipment of the Six Nations, um, when that was taking place, it was only myself, one of the guys that got tapped. So, you know, they're, it's, 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 the squad is kind of settled. Um, they did some great things last year. Other people remember they beat Scotland and they did some great results. So, it's, it's a competitive squad and um, I'm kind of coming into it kind of late but I'm hoping that you know I can push my way push my way in I'm, as, of, as of now I'm kind of in the summer the summer preparation camps that everyone I call those um, leading up so fingers crossed yeah I'll, I'll get a I'll get a shot of, um, over the kind of in a, in a warm up game and go from there but um, even 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 now having two caps like I, I, it, I still see the jersey hanging up in my room and think you know, it, it's been an amazing journey, but at the same time, that just makes you hungry for more because um, getting up to to play international rugby, especially we had a great game against Canada and they mm. came on and we're down by a point and I got to come on and it was just an amazing experience. You know, we're kind of losing and turn it around and we got we got a win in the 80th minute and like that was just an amazing feeling. Um, and I was just so proud to, to be doing it in a USA jersey representing, you know, so many people that have done so many things for me since I've moved here and, um, the amount of messages I got and just some of them were in tears. Just, it just, it, they were just ecstatic to see me representing them. So, like, at times like that, it really does kind of really make you appreciate what you're doing and just the, just the drive to, to continue to do it even more. Well, listen, Tig, I we hope to see you in Japan. England, France, Argentina and Tonga is a pretty <laughs> yeah. uh, tasty group there. Um, and uh, we'd look, having listened to your story here um, and followed it, we uh, we can't wait to see you over there, and we wish every uh, every luck getting there. Cheers, lad. Thanks very much for chatting to me, and uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And hopefully, yeah, you see me out there. Brilliant stuff there, Tig Leader. Look, we hope you, uh, to see him at the World Cup, of course. Uh, Mars, the one thing I thought that was very interesting, you were kind of fascinated by his kind of coaching, but he was we're talking about residency players. And, you know, before we even did that, Tig mentioned, you know, want to play for a few years, got done, and then, you know, help grow the game here, help get into a bit of coaching. You know, like this, that's already in his mind before we even get into the residency conversation that this is a, this is, you know, a bigger project than just his career here this is actually something that's like almost vocational now already yeah and like that's see i mean 
I remember I actually wrote a piece about this uh, about a year ago, or maybe even longer. Like the the point of the residence route is for the majority of cases, which are like that. It's the guy who's like he's not going abroad. He's not you know being curtailed abroad, but he actually is going abroad to kind of make a livelihood, and then subsequently ends up playing for a country and adopting kind of a new country. And the that's the kind of the guys like Tyg or there's a, it's funny. There's a lot of Connacht lads who end up going out there, like Pat O'Toole, who is another guy again actually, Conor O'Donnell's partner in terms of he was he played hooker when Conan was three Pat's uh had a an Irish had an American passport because it was true his dad and went out and is now playing in New York as well you've got this kind of stories about guys Dylan Fawcett obviously another guy who's, who's gone out there and I suppose I think there's kind of a nice duality in that kind of thing it's kind of guys who it's it's in their benefit to you know go to a new homeland and play professional rugby and kick on there but it's also to the benefit of where they're going in terms of that they're actually trying to grow the game like they're having an impact in terms of coaching in terms of on the ground level and that the like it will increase the general overall standard as well as kind of benefit them themselves it's kind of it's the perfect marriage in a way exactly a rule should be about more than just like helping an individual it should be about helping the game in general and that shows you where it works and mm-hmm. i think that's brilliant and look we do kind of really look forward to kind of seeing more of uh, two irish out halves would be the ideal World Cup squad, I suppose, yeah. for USA <laughs> from our perspective. Uh, sorry to whoever the third guy is who we're not sure. <laughs> we don't know who he is. Um, listen, we want to talk about Leinster Saracens. We're building up to it for the whole show, but I've just had some breaking news on my internet phone. Dun, dun, dun. This is, this is like when people are hearing this, it'll be out about six hours. But we're literally just getting a true out that Munster Rugby and the IRFU can confirm that forwards coach Jerry Flannery and backline and attack coach Felix Jones will depart the province at the end of the season. Both coaches have declined their respective contract offers that will and will come to um, the end of their current contracts in June. Commented on the news, Munster acting CEO Philip Quinn said, as Johan has noted all along, the province was committed to retaining the services of both Jerry and Felix, and I believe the professional game board made every effort to retain the coaching duo with competitive terms. While we understand their respective decisions, we are hugely disappointed with the latest development, but wish them every success in the future. It goes without saying that Jerry and Felix have been great servants to Munster Rugby from their earlier playing days in red to, for, to forging successful coaching careers in guiding the next generation of Munster players. We will be very disappointed to see Felix and Jerry go at the end of the season. They're both extremely hardworking, dedicated coaches in exchange in addition to being really good guys who have been fantastic to work with wow yeah that's um, that's big news ma- massive um we we're just talking about jones five minutes ago yeah and the kind of the blame that somewhat unfairly has been laid at his door kind of recently it's funny i mean all of a sudden it starts to make sense the names that have been linked at monster like the, i always thought it was weird that a guy like rob howley would come in and jones would be working under another attack coach I, did, I didn't see how that dynamic would work um so i guess that from that perspective it kind of it makes sense um i think it is it is a loss the guys who are held in really high regard it's always funny when you hear like joe schmidt uh, joe schmidt used to name drop felix jones a lot for his rugby brain and the yeah. impact he would have um as i said earlier in the show just i to, to restress it i do think there's bigger issues than coaches at Munster like for, for, for sure I guess the probably the benefit is that you probably can move on and get a clean slate yeah the, the conversation now is obviously going to move on to personnel and who they're going to go for that's if I, it if I was Munster I would like I would we, we, we're reacting to this at the, in the moment we don't know like what's subsequently going to come out we've heard about Rob Holy, Howley with, with Connor I would 100% look at trying to um reintroduce some kind of uh somebody who understands monster like i think at least one figure even if it's got like if there's anything that could be done to get paul o'connell involved as a forwards coach or something like that or even to be honest like when we spoke about coaching and i know um you've got jp ferreira who's their defense coach the, the who's a fellow south african but if you could look at a guy like in Costello, there's been a lot of talk about what's going on with wasps if there was ever a case where he was available i'd 100 percent like we spoke to him in this podcast he's a really intelligent guy a guy who this what we're talking about actually he his like he's a broad coach he understands a lot of different brackets but in terms of skills he's a guy who really understands that kind of skill set and is a name that as a guy who's grew up like made his name at Munster knows the club game knows the club if there was ever anything that could be done that could see someone like him be involved we don't know I mean all this is speculative but I'm just yeah, in terms no, of where sure, they're going to go now sure. I think and look, I think clean slate it might not be the worst thing in the world, but mm, yeah. it's like I thought you were going to go the other way there, but I couldn't agree more. I would be very wary of them getting rid of any kind of boot room presence for want of a better, you know, to use the Liverpool kind of term. Like, you know, I think that having that monster legacy 
in there to carry that on to build it into the next generation i think is really important obviously you can do that with players like the likes of murray and omatney are going to do that and are going to pass it down to the next generation anyway keith earls but i think having it in your coaching team people who understand what it's all about the province is important you know um so Massive news. We'll see how it goes. There'll obviously be developments on that over the next kind of couple of weeks. Leinster versus Saracens, Heineken Cup final, Heineken Champions Cup final, St. James's Park, the strange venue for it. You know, the two best teams in Europe over the last three seasons, I would say. You know, it's 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 kind of it's a it's a full on title fight as well as a final. What are you looking forward to most? Uh, well, the the overarching thing is what I'm looking forward to most. I'm looking forward to the fact that it's so rare that you get the, the two heavyweights go toe to toe for like the tag of being pound for pound in any sport. We it's so rare that we get that kind of the two teams. Like we got it in Gaelic football when we got to see Mayo and Dublin go at it in 20, the replay in 2016. We got it in hurling when we saw Cork and Kilkenny go at it. You know, but it's so so rare that you get two kind of the top dogs, like the absolutely outstanding out heavyweights who are both in you know top form go kind of head to head within that um as we kind of as i hinted earlier i think that would lead itself to be quite a cagey game in a lot of ways um not to not to overstress this point but i think the fact that jermon garcez is referee is going to be huge given that he was referee for the saracens semi-final and we saw how that worked out and i think that leinster are a team that we're going to need to adapt to that more than than saracens, than saracens, are, saracens yeah. can dive in head first to the rook from any angle and, but even just their you know their, their, <laughs> their, their side of their game is such that it leads itself to kind of a bit more of like a lax breakdown like that's the, how they play rugby that's how they implement chances you think about how they use like every single rook is a chance to, to do an attack type of thing you know they can attack left far or they've got, also got good to stand into the line and go the other way and mm-hmm. that like, there's so much is orientated around running the like so much of saracens game is about winning the contest battle whether that be you know beating teams up front so in terms of you know hammering into them at the rook or kind of exerting themselves in maws and you've got guys like Mario Toja who kind of epitomizes that yeah. and based off that team like you're looking at head-to-head matchups that you'd, you'd really really look forward to I actually think the one that stands out for me is Atoje versus James Ryan I think they're just it's like Atoje is so fundamental to so much of what actually happens within their game um, so much rotates around them he actually did a there's, a there's a really good piece by a friend of the podcast Charlie Morgan who managed to get uh, he sat down with Mario Toje, but actually got him to do video analysis of all of his key moments from the Monster game. So he sat down with him and they went through like wow. frame by frame. And one of the things I found really interesting about Otoji was he talked about the way he plays the game has always been risk reward. So Otoji actually gave away three penalties against Monster. Yeah, I remember them. But, yeah, they were yeah. all of them were kind of unlucky. They were for like bridging Jackal and the Jackal yeah. is the one that he is actually yeah. talking about here. Yeah, it's funny. So um, he was talking about that as an incident and the fact that like trying to play risk reward and that a lot of times he's the guy who has to kind of like set that template. So like, he's essentially is so fundamental to what they do because he's the guy who like lays that down. You know, he's lays down the gauntlet for wants a better cliche um, and I think that him against James Ryan like James Ryan is such a powerful all-consuming guy in the same way he kind of has influenced you know at the breakdown in terms of carrying at the line out all that stuff and the the two of them squaring off together I think is probably the, the matchup I'm looking forward to most yeah and you know in, in, to, to add it on a little bit like it is kind of a Toji Cruz Ryan Toner yeah you know it, like it, it you know isn't it because there's a sort of like you're looking at the Ireland versus England second rows you know more or less you know you're probably looking at Courtney Law sort of knocking around in there as well but like that's that's the that's the the level here we're talking about we're talking about like two of the best international teams and they're in their four second rows going up against each other in a club match it's, yeah it's amazing and, and on that team right of kind of like I we'll actually we might play this now this is Johnny Sexton when he was asked about his matchup against Owen Farrell after the Saracens game in the press conference be uh you know, big challenge, but I've said numerous times when you when you play against a a ten, um, it's not really a direct direct battle because you rely so heavily on everyone around you, the the coaches, the the pack, and you know, so it's uh it's very hard to compare. Uh, but um, look, he he had a great game yesterday. I think their their halfbacks controlled things really well. Spencer at nine looked very sharp in around the rook, and um, whether they start with him and sort of use uh, Wigglesworth off the bench. Um, we, we don't know, but uh, Wigglesworth will get a few games now over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure, and uh, we'll be ready for you know all the combinations they can have. They've got an unbelievably strong squad. Um, you know, you look at their bench yesterday. You know, bringing the guys on that they did, and uh, some of the guys that weren't even involved in the squad. So, uh, yeah, we'll be. Hopefully, we can get a few bodies back as well, and um, it'll be uh, like I said already a big 
a massive battle for us and so on that like i think what sexton said there is actually really interesting because you know we often certainly i do anyway i kind of associate a 10 versus 10 as being a key matchup and but as he said it's not really a direct competition when you're a 10 because there's so much other factors that influence that whereas even if you think back to the monster saracens game think about the amount of times that tyg burn was frustrated by Atoje, like a literal direct direct Com- com- yeah. competition like him trying to get over the ball Atoji clears him out that instant that he spoke about the jackal he actually made the tackle on burn before he got up to jackal him as well like it's a direct direct competition there they're jumping against each other in a lineup for example this kind of stuff it's, you see a lot more of it there it's obviously like it's the most associated place I would associate with it is as his props and which is yeah. obviously going to be key with Vinopola and, and Tyg Furlong yeah. isn't a bad one the one that we have seen this year and our boy didn't come out on top no it's pro- and it's probably like it's probably two of the best players in the position definitely in Europe I would argue in the world going head to head at it and guys who get go on the same team as Ryan or Atoje they've so such huge influence outside of their key positions like they obviously will have massive say in the scrum line yeah. out etc but what they do in general play like Vinopola with his phenomenal attacking ability or how Leinster certainly use Furlong's hands you know like pivots left and right he, even this you know tip backs and stuff like that that Furlong implements so kind of seamlessly into his game that makes that all the more kind of an intriguing contest as well just the final one the final one I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out is Good and Kearney because that's where Mike Haley was dominated by Good and uh, if you were to go head to head in that kind mm-hmm. of that competition um, and then like Saracens are kind of like Ireland that they like to kick the ball a huge amount like to and then exert themselves there they slowly wilt you down in the early portion by exerting themselves in the air and that's Kearney's bread and butter so yeah. I, I'd be really interested to see how they try and work their way around him and how they try and kind of expose him because they definitely will have a plan like can you see Farrell staying away from Kearney the way Ireland did England and kicking it down the kicking it down the wings yeah or or even doing the really sort of stuff like they did um, just something to watch out for I think this weekend so against Ireland's Farrell kick Farrell was kicking right to left because he's got way bigger hanging time and that then they can you know target uh, a winger and I think they're going to target James Lowe in this game in the air. And they're going yeah. to try and kick to his wing. He, a guy who's kind of a an erratic defender, you know, try and kick to his wing, put real, real fo- uh, pressure on him. I wouldn't be, like, one bit surprised to see the odd time, you know, somebody like Atoji or Barrett stand out in the wing, the same way they did with Earls, by the way, and see him getting up and roughing him up a small bit and trying, yeah. to, trying to really punish that guy. And then, they'll, you know, like, they're... We hate to see it, but it's a part of the game now is kind of their escort lines are so, so good. Like, they, if you're... They're going to it's going to be really hard for Leinster to ex- or Sexton particularly to expose them because A, you're going to have good in the backfield. They're going to have really good escorts so it's hard to get up and compete with them. And even if you do manage to get good, does receive the ball, oftentimes he's got Vinopola standing right beside him who's going to run like down your throat, return the ball. So you're giving him a chance to generate steam and do do what he does, you know, like be this human wrecking ball. So that's like, that's how Saracens will kind of police their own ability and be fascinating to see what they do to Leinster and obviously you know, Leinster are going to have a plan for all this stuff as well like Leinster will it'll be, it, it's these are the kind of nuances or kind of interesting battles that even if the game isn't as exciting as I think it might not be there'll be to, plenty to watch for yeah, and, and to, to get out of it yeah. yeah yeah kind of like all these mini contests within a kind of a major contest you were in commentary for Munster fans outnumbering Saracens four to one or whatever it was, but it was far from a full stadium. You multiply that and make it what is a full stadium, which it will be this weekend. And if Leinster have a similar, similar, you know, numbers advantage, do you think that makes any difference? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, like I, I think the it was. I thought it was really striking. After I was obviously said I was in commentary, but I was also in the Aviva for the Leinster game and. It was really striking right from the, f- the second the final whistle went, the amount of times that whether it be Johnny Sexton, Scott Fardy did a press conference as well, Leo Cullen, all referenced the crowd and what that did for them within the stadium. Like it was clearly something that they fed into um, in the like in the same way the great Muslim teams of old seemed to feed into it as well. I think that could be kind of something that starts to allude. And even like, even if you think about it from the referee's perspective, like Garcez is under the spotlight this weekend. He has to be because of how things went in the semi-final. If you've got 40,000 people screaming at him that somebody's offside or somebody didn't is off their feet like that, that's that just is human it's going to have to have an influence so I wouldn't put too much stock in it but I definitely think it's going to be a factor feels to me that you're leaning towards Saracens I am yeah 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 okay. um, which yeah which like but close I think it'll be yeah I think like in some ways it's a toss of a coin but I just I think Saracens have a skill set that makes them really really difficult for a team like 
Leinster to compete with them in terms of how they play their style and I think like Saracens could stick to their style and make they're going to force Leinster to adapt I don't see Leinster trying to stick to their style and force Saracens to adapt I see them trying to match them the way they do and that's that, like that's the only reason I would buy a percent lean towards Saracens um, but as, as again like it'd be probably be a one point score game right. and I, I predicted Munster was going to be Saracens so if that, that <laughs> Leinster fans would be encouraged by the fact that I think uh, Saracens will win this yeah. game well look I think it's going to be fascinating I think people can't wait for it and uh, very interesting to hear what you make of it uh, there's definitely a part of us all that hopes you're wrong and of course, that, yeah. that Leinster go on to do it um, right well listen you can come back next week next uh, next Monday night for Morris analysis I won't be here we'll be getting no read in sorry PJ <laughs> uh, to to, uh, to, dis- to discuss it with him um, but I hope you enjoy the game and we will talk to you or they will talk to you next week take it easy <laughs>